And we're going to turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The book of Acts. And we're going to be reading from chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And reading from verse 1. This Sunday is what is regarded in churches and called Pentecost Sunday. And it's a day where we remember the historical event that happened on a day at Pentecost 2,000 odd years ago. Last week, if you were here, you will remember that we were looking and thinking about the ascension of Jesus Christ. That's when he was taken up to heaven to be with his Father. And that was following his death and resurrection his death on the cross at Calvary then his resurrection then he appeared to the disciples over a period of 40 days and at the end of that period he said now I'm going to be with my father and we looked at that last week and there were a a few promises in Acts chapter 1 the previous chapter verse 4 Jesus said in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit and again in verse 8 in Acts chapter 1 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth they were to be witnesses to the truth and to other people who didn't know the truth yet but they were to wait and we were thinking about that last week how we can't do anything for God in our own strength can we? we're not saved by our own strength we're saved through the work of Jesus Christ that he did for us it's by grace we're saved not by works, lest any man should boast, says the scriptures. So we're not saved by our own works, neither do we work at it to be a good Christian. It's not about us working harder or having our own strength. We need God's power, don't we, within us. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't move yet until you receive my power, and then you'll be able to be my witnesses. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Then he went out there, verse 15, chapter 1, to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And then the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So they were doing the right thing, weren't they? And we were talking about last week, when God gives us instructions, we should obey them. Because it's for our own good. And there was a promise that they would receive power, but they were also told, wait for it. It's coming. Don't move ahead of God. And they did that. They were there waiting at the temple for the promised Holy Spirit to come. And we looked last week, and I'll just recap, because it is important, why Jesus returned to the Father. Three different things. If Jesus had not returned to the Father God, he would not have been able to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said there himself, unless I go away, the Counselor, that's the Spirit, will not come to you. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there's a thing here about Jesus being raised into the position at the right hand of the Father God on high, having died, having been raised from the dead. Remember, Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for us. And because of uh, who he is and what he's done, he was ascending back to the Father as a prerequisite to the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon everyone who would believe in him. Also, if Jesus had not returned to the Father, Jesus wouldn't be interceding or praying for us today. And that's a really important fact, that Jesus is at a seat of authority today. He's defeated sin. He's defeated hell. He's defeated the grave. He's defeated everything that the enemy tried, the enemy Satan himself tried to spin and twist into humanity. He's destroyed it, hasn't he? That's good news. 
and he's positionally in a place of authority, so we need not be afraid. We had a song, we didn't sing it earlier on, but it says, Jesus, we celebrate your victory. That's what we should be doing today as believers, because his position shows us he's victorious. And he's also praying for us from that position of victory. So it's good that he's returned to the Father. Also, if Jesus had not returned to the Father, he would not be our advocate before the Father. Our advocate, you know, when we, when we sin and we fail as a Christian, as we all do, don't we? I do it. We all do it. We have a sinful nature as Christians. And we're going to think about it today. There's a balance. There's a balancing act that's supposed to be tipped in one direction. But sometimes we tip in the other direction. What are the two directions? One is living by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit controlling us. And the other one is being controlled by our own flesh, our own sinful nature. And we have that balancing act, but it really shouldn't be a balancing act. It should be an overtaking act. That God wants to fill us and overflow us with his spirit so that he's totally in control. But when we fail and when we sin, let's call it what it is, and we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness as Christians. His work is final and completed at Calvary, isn't it? And there he's there and every time I, I fail, Jesus himself is standing before God the Father and he's saying, I know Graham's failed, but I died for him. And because I died for him, and he believes in me, he's forgiven. And that's what continually happens as a Christian, isn't that wonderful? And you can put your name in that today, if you trust in, trusted in Jesus as your saviour. He's our advocate before the Father. So we also saw last week, very importantly, that there are three persons in the Godhead. There's only one God, as we were saying earlier on to the children. And it's amazing actually how well the children understand truths like that. It's often called a mystery of the Christian faith because scholars and learned people find it so difficult to understand and try to explain and come up with illustrations but there's only one God but there's there's three persons there's God the Father in heaven God the Son who came to earth to be our sacrifice and also at this point he returned to be with the Father and is there now where he's always been he stepped down just to save us isn't that wonderful he's always been there Jesus he's always been in heaven but he stepped down and he went back after completing his mission for us. And then we have God the Holy Spirit who's also always been there. God has always existed. He is eternal. God the Father, God the Son Jesus and God the Holy Spirit. Even in Genesis you read about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So anyone that says to you, well the Holy Spirit isn't God or wasn't present at the beginning is a liar. Also you read through the book of Genesis that it says we created, we created uh, man in our own image. Man is created in our own image. There's a plurality about the Godhead that's clear even in the early scriptures. Do we all understand that today? Because it is really, really important to acknowledge God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now let's focus in. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. I'd like you just to walk through, which is why we've all got our Bibles open today. We'll start in verse 1, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. First of all, notice that the, the time of Pentecost was a festival, a traditional festival that the, the people of Israel remembered and gave thanks to the Lord. It was when the wheat harvest was celebrated by a one-day festival. So if you imagine, you know, the, the harvest time coming in and giving thanks to God, giving praise to God for all that he's done. This was what they were doing and they were offering special sacrifices at that time. A thing I really love about this passage was they were all together in one place. It's the kind of earliest expression of what a church is like, isn't it? We are believers in Jesus. For the first time really they were called to get together, wait upon the Lord and there they were continually at the temple together 
praising the Lord, worshipping him and waiting for the promise, Holy Spirit. I love that picture. But let's notice some dramatic outward signs. There's some outward signs that speak to us about God's Holy Spirit coming and they're, they're highlighted in this passage. The first sign that happened, and this would have been incredibly dramatic if you could imagine if you were in this room with over a hundred people all there. It says in verse 2, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's quite dramatic, isn't it? Sitting there, waiting upon the Lord over a period of time, then all of a sudden, it says a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, it's interesting, it didn't say an actual wind came. It said it was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It's quite dramatic. You'd be sitting there thinking, I hear the sound of a dramatic wind, but where is it? <laughs> an awesome uh, experience. But that, I want to say to you today that that's because this is a sign. Wasn't it maybe an actual wind? It was a sound like a wind, but it's a sign. It was a trigger. So God is doing something. His presence, see the, the sign of wind or the sound of a wind would have immediately sparked in their minds. God is here. God's presence is here. The wind you see is a sign of God's presence as spirit. And this sound didn't just fill a part of the room. It filled the whole house. Again, a sign of God's presence which fills everything, everywhere, with himself, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures. So just like the natural wind, if you open the door and it blows through the, old house, the whole house, so the presence of God, when it was coming upon that room, was filling everything. And there was a sound associated with that as a sign to them all. Amazing, eh? The second sign, so we had the sound like wind that was a sign to point to the Holy Spirit of God coming. The second sign, it says like tongues of fire. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So this is a second symbol. It's almost like they're, they're trying to describe it and they can't quite come up with the words to describe what it is that their eyes are seeing. Um, so they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and the flame itself divided into separate tongues and rested upon everybody's heads what would that have been like? what a dramatic scene, what a dramatic sign or an evidence of God's Holy Spirit being present again fire would have reminded everybody in the room of God would have been the fire by night leading the people the fire in the burning bush that Moses saw, just so many, the fire, even the fire of judgment, the fire of uh, cleansing, of sacrifice, so many things that would have immediately triggered, wow, God is moving here in an incredibly powerful way. John the Baptist also mentioned as well previously, I'm not going to read the verses, but earlier on he did refer to Jesus coming and it would be baptized with the Spirit and with fire. And of course, fire can reflect a couple of things. And it's maybe not covered in this passage, but you know that cleansing, that God's presence, but also that side of judgment of God, where sin has to be dealt with and burned away. So like tongues of fire, what seemed to be like tongues of fire, separated and came to rest on them. That was the second sign. The third sign is in verse 4, if you turn to that. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is the... This is the moment that it's been building up to, really. This is the fulfilment of the promise that Jesus had been talking about over a period of time to his disciples. He said that all of the disciples and all who believed... that Disciple just means follower of Christ, by the way. If you trust in Jesus as your saviour and you believe what we're talking about today, 
and you confess your sins to him, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're following him. You're trusting in him. Jesus said all of them would be filled by the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and verse 4, we read it earlier. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promise, which you have heard me speak about. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. But notice here that this filling of the Holy Spirit is a brand new experience to mankind. It's a new experience. It had been promised, it had been prophesied about, even back in the, the prophet Joel, who Peter quotes later on in this book of Acts prophesied about the coming. This is a different experience. The Holy Spirit was always present and active and came upon people at certain points for certain tasks and certain times. Was there even at creation, as we've already said, but was never within a man or a woman. This was a new thing. What we're seeing here is that the Holy Spirit was now being promised to be within the life of a believer in Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Something which over many years people who trusted in God had hoped for that time. When no longer would we have to have to rely on these moments and these times, but have a complete filling with God's Spirit within them. And that's what's happening here. Secondly, God's presence within the believers would be permanent. This is a really important point, and I'm not going to get into all the scriptures to back it up, but believe me, we can back it up. That when you become a Christian, you are a Christian forever. If you truly, truly trust in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, and confess your sins, The scripture says you will be saved. And also if there's any doubt uh, about that, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, You, however, talking to believers, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if we are saved and we are a true believer in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God within us. We have a wonderful promise of God. But this was the first time that this had actually happened. What a wonderful day. Remember to Jesus' words in John 14, 16 about the Holy Spirit being within you and being permanently with you. John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So if we are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we will have already received that initial filling of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. But there's also a challenge to us as believers, and again I speak to myself uh, first before I speak to anyone else here. The majority of the New Testament, other than the Gospels, challenges Christians to live by the Spirit. And not by their sinful nature, doesn't it? If you read through all Apostle uh, Paul's letters, Peter and other letters to the churches, the primary spiritual focus of all of them is to surrender our lives as Christians to the Lord continually and to rely on his power and his strength so that we can be effective Christians and reach the world for him. But to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit as Christians, that means obedience and that's an ch- incredible challenging word. In, in the revival times, if you dig in and you read about genuine revivals in the United Kingdom or uh, Scotland, closer to home, you will find that it's obedience that was there. And that challenges me and it should challenge all of us. Because where God's Spirit is able to work and flow is where believers like you and me surrender ourselves fully to God and are obedient to him and surrender to his power and if it is that we aren't experiencing that fullness of life together could it just be that we need to take heed of the words of the New Testament to the churches like the words to Galatians uh, the church in Galatia 
chapter 5 verse 16 where Paul says live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature have you, have you ever been like me and you have done things that are wrong as a Christian and immediately comes the Holy Spirit prompting you that you're wrong it happens doesn't it? it happens it's one of the surefire signs that you're a Christian is if you've got a conscience about things if you know what you've done is wrong see often pe- people we can go around about our lives and we don't even feel that we're doing anything wrong and you can ask somebody in the street and they'll probably say I'm quite a good person actually I do good things I give to charity and I go to church once once and now and again and I'm kind to people and I try my best so sometimes people don't we, we don't recognise that we're at, we've actually got a problem I was talking to somebody recently who is working with an evangelistic an outreach programme with a church and it sounds interesting and do you know what they focused on? they focused on challenging somebody to actually see that they're a sinner to see that they're actually done wrong things Because actually, do you know what? Most people don't. Most people think they're a good upstanding citizen. And actually there's not a problem between them and God. And we're living in a society, aren't we, just now? Where people say all all the atrocities and the really evil people, they're going to hell. But not me. I'll be okay. If there is a God, I'm sure he'll let me in. That's a deception of Satan, isn't it? That's That's a lie. So as Christians, one of the things we have to do is actually highlight the problem of sin. But also be aware, of it, be aware of it in our lives, how serious it is to be following the desires of our sinful nature and not living by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there is a way given to us as believers to live in the fullness of God's power and not to sin. We don't need to be sinning because we've got God's presence within us to help us not to sin. And even when we do sin, we have our advocate, our great high priest before the Father pleading for us. Isn't that wonderful? That gives me hope and it should give us all hope. God is making us into who we should be. And while we're getting there, he's pleading for us. He sacrificed himself for us. So now in Acts chapter 2 verse 4, there wasn't the sound of a a wind filling the room, but instead there was a, a huge sound of voices all speaking together in other tongues as the Spirit was enabling them to do that. I want to suggest to you that this is an outward sign of an inward experience. An outward sign of an inward experience in the, in the believers. Verse 5. Because what was the purpose of all of this? This sign. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. First of all, I'm really glad that um, we don't always have to pronounce all of those locations every single time we step in the car and we're getting directions in the Glasgow area. (laughs) But when I hear about the... It's funny, actually, when I hear about the the word the Galileans, I think of the Glaswegians for some reason. Maybe just where I come from myself. And one of the things about the Galileans was they weren't really known for being good speakers. They weren't really that polite, I don't think. They were regarded as being quite slang and not that intelligent. What I'm trying to say about that is that they were ordinary men and women. They were ordinary. 
There was nothing fancy about them. They didn't have any special abilities. And that might be probably what we can all identify with today. Ordinary people. And what made this even more amazing was the fact that they were ordinary people and people realised they weren't trained in other languages. They shouldn't really be able to do this. They might even struggle to speak their own language, nevertheless another one. So it's important to understand this context, although I'm laughing a bit about it. It's serious because it was actually crazy that these men from Galilee could do this. It was, imp- it was actually impossible for them to do this. And everybody that was there would have known that this was downright impossible. Amazed, utterly amazed, verse 7, they were. How is it that they are, these, they are they not these men speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? So what is the purpose of this? Well, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out so that the good news the gospel, in other words, would be preached. Preached where? Preached to all nations starting in Jerusalem. Isn't this wonderful? So what we, what we find here, that at this time there was a festival going on, so there were people from all over. Wide areas had travelled wide distances to come at this particular time. So don't you see how it's so special that God chose this time to pour out the Holy Spirit when there were so many people representing different nations, different areas, different languages, all in one place. So that when God's Spirit was poured out, they heard the commotion and all of them came. So this was an accelerated message, wasn't it? They were in one room and everybody was hearing it. Hearing the truth, hearing the good news about Jesus in, in, the, in the words that they could understand, in the language they could understand. Marvellous. This is exactly what Jesus promised would happen. Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 10, The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Then he said, Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking. Sometimes, a a practical application of that, Christians, we are promised that God, if we surrender to him, he will give us the words. Isn't that a lovely thing? Have you ever been in a situation, you think to yourself, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tackle this particular situation. Have you ever just felt the Holy Spirit of God prompting you to say something? If we're obedient to that, it will flow. It will flow. And one of the difficulties, and it can happen even when you're preaching and different things like that, one of the difficulties is we live in a society that's about training and about learning and about climbing up ladders. But when we look at the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no disrespect to any of them, but they weren't learned people. They were people whom God chose. They were ordinary people. They didn't rely on their training, their natural training, or their natural intellect, although they would have had some. And I want to suggest to you the reason why this is so important is we need to surrender our pride. Pride gets in the way, doesn't it? Because I want to impress people, because I want to climb up a ladder somewhere. Even in church, we can be about impressing people, rather than just being who God wants us to be. But in order for God to use any of us by his power, we need to actually surrender our own strength. And actually take a bit of a scary position which is going out and maybe not knowing what to say or what to do but just stepping out into it. What about a situation where you're unfairly treated and they had situations where when you're arrested and you're brought before the governor, well what about when you're brought before the council or your employer or your friends that are unfair to you and you're totally perplexed and you don't know what to do. Rely on the promise here. Just say whatever is given you at the time for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. When we don't know what to say and we don't know what to do, we don't know how to go, go forward. When we surrender ourselves to God and we put our pride to one side and take the scary position of stepping out when we don't necessarily know what to do or what to say, we've then believed God and we will receive the direction we need. 
This is a, a marvellous outward sign of an inward experience. And this is an inward experience of receiving the Holy Spirit to which every believer here today, you have. And within you and me are the wells of God's Spirit giving it with the instructions we need, with the power we need, with the words even to say, but we have to surrender to him, don't we? These people were speaking in other tongues. They were, they were speaking in other languages. And each person heard the message in their own native language, as we've already said. And the purpose, again, back, back to that, very importantly, first of all, the purpose of this speaking in other languages was an evidence, first of all, again, a sign of God's power, because it was impossible that ordinary people could be doing this. So it was a sign that God was present, that God was actually making this happen. But secondly, it was about communicating the good news of the gospel in a way that everyone could understand. God was giving them the words so that everyone in the room could understand. Lovely, isn't it? Jesus said the purpose of this is, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, in Jesus' name. To all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So we see there that Jesus did everything, really, didn't he? He died for us. He rose again from the dead, defeated sin and death. He did all of that for us on the third day. He ascended to his father in heaven and he said, you'll receive power. And what you're going to be speaking about is me in my name. And what does repentance mean? Well, repentance is when we realise... We've done wrong things. When we realise we are actually a sinner, we come before God and we say, God, I've really messed up and I know that I've done wrong things and I need you to forgive me. That's what repentance means. It's literally turning yourself around and that is a challenge for Moody's Burn today, isn't it, in 2012? To actually challenge us all that we're all going to stand before a holy God and it's only through Jesus we can stand and have a place in heaven. But it's acknowledging I've done wrong things and then saying, God, forgive me for those wrong things. And this message was to go, as we've said, to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I want to see just one one practical point associated with that. God wants everybody to hear. Everybody. All nations. All peoples. There's no barriers. You know, again, we live in a society that's about empire building, isn't it? It's about building even even churches and even, even charities and other things can be sometimes about people more than they're about God. They can be about building an empire for somebody's own benefit rather than helping other people. And it's certainly like that in a lot of the business world, isn't it? Where we'll look after number one. But not so in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, it's level ground. You know, just like Jesus said, let the little children come. Because there was no levels. He didn't say, that wee young one at five, seven year old can't come and hear the message. Because he's too young. My brother, who's now a Baptist minister, gave his life to Jesus at five years old. And fully understood what he was doing. And received the promised Holy Spirit. And I did that at seven years old on the same evening. It's amazing. And we maybe don't give credit enough to how much children can understand. And we could learn a lot from them. Because Jesus also said, unless you become like that little child. And you just honestly trust me. And honestly ask me to forgive you. You'll never get in to the kingdom. And that's maybe why when we go out speaking to adults it's harder. And where we need the Spirit's power so much, even so much more. Although we need it all the time. Because adults can become so independent, can't we? So dependent on ourselves. And the things which we surround ourselves with. That we really struggle to be like a child and just be trusting again. Just actually put your trust in another. I think life makes people hard, doesn't it? It makes us hard. Because people hurt us. People lock us down because, you see, I've I've just been put down so many times, I can't get back up again. And what you do is you build a barrier around about yourself and you put yourself in a a kind of corner and you close yourself down because it's safe. 
And then when it's like that, God needs to melt our hearts again to, by his love and by his Holy Spirit's power. And it can take time. And even as a Christian, maybe you're experiencing that where um, there, there, there's, there's pain and there's things. Maybe even you need to receive counsel about it. Notice that the, the Holy Spirit is called the counsellor. We receive counsel first of all from God himself. Isn't that lovely? We have the most wonderful counsellor. And I know that if you're, if you're like me, we all have things. We all have things we need a counsellor for. That's why Jesus sent him. And we can go to him. We don't understand it. We're struggling. We've got pain from the past. We're shut down. I've heard people testifying to me, becoming a Christian and having the hardness going away and just being softened. And you'll sometimes hear somebody that's testified to that after 10 years later. And they'll say, when I came to, to Jesus at first, I received him, but I was hard as a rock. And then he's just melted me down and I've just really experienced a, a freedom and a love that I've never known before. And an ability to express myself that I've never known before. And that can happen to all of us. But we need that, that counsellor. We need to rely on him for that. And also, can I say as well that good Christian counselling is important. Godly men and women who can get alongside you and who can give you godly counsel, who can look to the word of God, who can pray for you and who can lead you in along the way. And there are wonderful organisations as well. There's one in Glasgow called Dove. There's other ones around the area, which if you, you talk to us, we can recommend. There are places where there are godly men and women who are also aiding the process of that counsel that we all need as Christians to, 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 to learn from God's Spirit and to progress. So God wants this message to be preached and he wants it to be preached to all nations. And we sometimes think, well, that's for the missionaries to do. You know, there are missionaries that get sent out to the really difficult places and they're the ones that do all, all the work. But I want you to notice here that the disciples were in their home base, their home nation, and they were serving the Lord and God was using them powerfully there. So you're a missionary at home, your family your friends, your workplace, your community. That's where we're called to be. And maybe some of us will also get the scary job of being called to go somewhere quite even more difficult and challenging. And that's what tends to happen as well. When you trust in the Lord, he gives you things to, to do like that. And that's okay, because he'll also give you the strength to do that. But remember, witnessing starts, starts at the home. <clears throat> but then we're all, we're all called to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Mark 16:15. So Peter stood up. I'm not going to read all, all of the verses there for the sake of time. But in verse 14 to 21, Peter stands up and, and speaks a Holy Spirit-filled message. This is a brilliant uh, demonstration of God's power, isn't it? There's Peter who had failed the Lord many times. Who had thought it was all over. It was all finished for him after Jesus had died. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he specifically named Peter. He says, go and tell all the disciples and go and get Peter. Because I've... I've got good news for him. And Jesus restored Peter. Remember he said to him, do you love me, Peter? And he said, I love you. And he challenged him. And Peter gave everything to the Lord, didn't he? That's what it's about. It's not about perfection. It's about trusting. And Peter trusted, despite of his failures, he trusted in his saviour. And he waited for the power. And when the power came, he stood up and was counted. He raised his voice, it said there, and he addressed the crowd. He referred back to the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit, verse 17. On all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, even young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women alike, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I just want us to see there that Peter was an ordinary man who was now made into a new man, filled by the Holy Spirit. And I mean, this church is called New Beginnings. And somebody said to me once, you can't really call it New Beginnings after a wee while because it'll not be new anymore. I, 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 I disagree. <laughs> I totally disagree with that. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation continually. 
The old has gone, the scripture says. The new has come. It's a new beginning every day. And it's only the enemy that tries to destroy that in our minds and tell us that it's not the case. But as a Christian, it doesn't need to be that way. Every day should be new. His mercies are new every morning. His power is with us every morning. Peter was a new man. Speaking the words again, there's a demonstration of God's power. Peter, Peter, an ordinary man, now speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not his words. God's empowering him to speak that. So again, you say to yourself, well, I can't speak. Well, neither could Peter, but God helped him to speak. And if God puts you in a position, whether it's a one-to-one or a group or whatever, trust in him, whatever the situation is, to give you the words to speak. But just as we close today, remember that this message needs a response. A response is required. Acts uh, chapter 2 verse 36. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see there that they were, the Holy Spirit had challenged their hearts. It's really important as well. It's not man's words that challenges men's hearts, isn't it not? It's not me talking to you that will challenge you. It's only God talking to you that will challenge you. Because only God's Spirit can dig right into your heart. And you'll know when that's happening. You'll not be able to deny it. You'll, you'll need to respond. They were cut to the heart and they responded. What are we going to do about all this? Peter replied. This is, this is lovely because this is really the first example of the, of the church age of people being led to Jesus through a message empowered by the Holy Spirit through ordinary people. Peter finished the message by saying, Repent. Turn around. Be sorry for your sins. Acknowledge that you're, you've done wrong things. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This promise is for you. And for your children. And for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Those who accepted his message were baptised. That's water baptism. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Just a final sign to mention. I mentioned it last week. But that sign of obedience to the Lord. The Lord said believe and be baptised. And while we talked about there was a phrase being baptised with the Holy Spirit. Or being filled by the Holy Spirit. That happens initially when we trust in the Lord. There's the water baptism which is a symbol. A sign to others that we trust in Jesus. And it was a sign. It was actually a command that Jesus gave to everyone who would trust in him. That we need to be baptised. So just a wee challenge to you. If anybody here isn't baptised. You are a believer. You would call yourself a Christian. And everything we've said today. But you haven't t- taken the step of the water baptism. Speak to myself or Hugh about it as leaders. And we'll help you with that. Put a study together or something. To, to help you understand more about what that means. Because it is important you understand it fully. But it's a sign to others. I was baptised at 14 years old. It was the best thing I ever did. Because when I was obedient to the Lord. And did what he told me to do. I was released into service. I started ministering in the, in the church and the worship uh, the next year. I believe that was in the right order because that's what the Lord had called me to do. Clearly, He said, "Believe and be baptized, and then go." So that's not any disrespect to other people's w- ways of thinking and other other ways churches would look at it. But that's what the scriptures do teach. So it's important to to mention that. And again, that's something that we can we can we can help you with here. But cl- just in closing, as believers today, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ. He has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. That should encourage and challenge us all to ensure that we're surrendering to him. And that is my closing challenge. My closing question to us all. Are we living in the power of the Holy Spirit or are we relying on our own strength? And I'm saying that to us as Christians. I'm saying that to myself. Are we living in the power of the Holy Spirit 
or are we relying on our own strength? And if you've never taken the step either today to trust in Jesus, if you've never done it before, simply open your heart to him, like those men and women did that day. Be sorry for your sins, ask him to forgive you, and you too will receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit today. It's as straightforward as that, if you're true in your heart about it. Let's pray.